If you have a copy of God's Word, would you open up to Proverbs chapter 1? If you don't have it and you want to throw it on your phone, feel free to do that. Last week we started a series in the book of Proverbs, just lay out real basic stuff. I answered the question, first of all, what is a proverb? A proverb is pithy, that is, it's an expressive statement that makes it memorable. We say a stitch in time saves nine. You have the biblical proverb that says, like a pig with a gold ring in his snout is a beautiful woman without discretion. That's very memorable. We also saw that these are uh, they're poetic devices, and so I, I talked about different kinds of poetic devices in Hebrew writing. We talked about how they're principles, not promises. They're true most everywhere, most all the time for most every people, but not all the time everywhere for everyone. And we talked about how they're persistent. He just kind of keeps on repeating himself. It's like, come on, already, I heard you. Why is he persistent? Because we're persistently stubborn, therefore he is persistently repetitive. Then we answered the question, what is the purpose of the book of Proverbs? And that is to generate right character combined with right thinking that has the output of right living. And then finally, we uh, asked the question, well, what's our responsibility? We do have responsibility, right? And that is to take ownership and be teachable. That was last week. I want to pray and we'll get into this week. Father, thank you so much for your love and your kindness and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Lord, for 26 years, that was truth I would have mentally assented to in my head, but it had not yet filtered its way down to my heart. And if there's anybody like that here this morning, I pray that they would have that moment of facing their sin and then running to the Savior who died for sinners who know they need saving. And I pray, Father, that you would form us up to be people who live uniquely and differently in a dark and decaying world, that we might shine, as Jesus told us, as lights. Um, Lord, I prepared as hard as I know how, but unless the Spirit blows on this, this is nothing but chicken scratch. So I pray that you would roll up your sleeves and throw a holy haymaker our direction that our hearts might be satisfied in your greatness. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. So as a reminder, church family, sometimes when we have visitors, you're, you tend to be a little bit more quiet. So don't worry about that. Talk back, please. Or at least I'll, I might call you out if you don't. Arpith is not here. He's away with Michelle. He's the guy that always helps us out, right? <laughs> well, a few years back, my son Ian was uh, on a recruiting visit to Wheaton. We went there, and uh, the head coach brought all the players and our prospective uh, players and parents together in kind of a joint session to communicate his vision. And he said, he said a lot of things, but he said something that has stuck with me ever since I heard him say those words because they ring so true both biblically and experientially. He said this, show me your friends and I will show you your future. He was highlighting the power that the voices we listen to and the people that we walk with have in shaping the direction and trajectory of our lives. Now, I bring up the coach's statement not to suggest for Christians here that we should somehow just hang out in a Christian bubble, you know, in a Christian compound and just hang out with Christian people. That sounds a bit like a cult. But it does raise the question, 
Who am I listening to? Who am I predominantly walking with in life? Who do I give the place of influence? Who do I give the place of authority to in my life? It's those questions that today's text from Proverbs chapter 1, verses 8 through 19 will answer. And so I want to preach to you on this simple and yet, I think, profound theme. Who do I listen to? Y'all with me? Who do I listen to? You really have two choices. I can listen to ungodly voices or to use the imagery of later in Proverbs, the, uh, the ugly voice of Lady Folly. Or I can choose to listen to godly voices, the elegant voice of Lady Wisdom. So we start with godly voices. Looking at verse 8, I want parents to know whether it's dad and mom or whether it's a dad or mom or, or some other guardian or caretaker for that matter. I just want us to know that parents, you have a role that no one else has. That's what it says in verse 8. Hear, my son, whose instruction? Your father's instruction. And forsake not your mother's teaching. That's why at, Re at Restored Church, we say that the primary responsibility for raising our children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, of discipling them, doesn't belong to schools. It certainly doesn't belong to screens. It belongs to parents. We bear the primary res responsibility. And see, God has not only ordained that we fill the earth and multiply, Genesis 1.17, but that we fill the earth with image bearers who know and love and follow the truth. In other words, the family is not just the place where you learn to hopefully say please or thank you, maybe to tie your shoe and how to hold a spoon right, and maybe you learn that the only people you should break wind around is your family and a few close friends, where kids learn to drive. No, the ultimate purpose of the family as it relates to discipling our kids is to teach them, going back to last week, chapter 1, verse 7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. That our ultimate responsibility, grace allowing, God allowing, the Spirit allowing, to inculcate in our children's hearts a fear of the Lord. We talked about that last week. What is that? It's a holy awe of who he is. Not who society says who he is, but who scripture says he is, right? It's a worshipful submission. Now, there is so much in this passage, but I just want to unpack a few things on what it would mean then to be a godly voice that helps our kids know the fear of the Lord. Number one, it is, and this is probably already clear, but I want to state it again. It is, number one, both parents' responsibility insofar as both parents would be in the picture. Does he not mention his father's teaching or instruction and his mother's teaching? They are both there. It's both parents' responsibility. It doesn't say, now listen, fathers, you just teach, and wives, you just change diapers. It doesn't say, fathers, you bring home the bacon, and therefore you have no other responsibility. 
Nor does it even say that if, if she also, if the wife also brings home income outside the house, that somehow that abdicates her of her responsibility to, again, instruct the children. It is both mom and dad's responsibility insofar as they're both in the picture. So just a practical question. How is it going for you, parents, as being the main disciples of your kids? Do you, uh, do, you have a, do you have a fixed time with your kids? Maybe dinner time. Do you seek to do it on the way of life? Do you remember in Deuteronomy chapter 6, the Shema? Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one, he says. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength and all your might. And he says, these things I command you, they shall be on your heart. Like, they should be really big to you. And you shall teach them to your children. When? When you're in the house and when you're on the way, he says. When you lie down, when you rise up. In other words, in all of life. And if you're not doing anything, hey, no worries. Just start today. Start tomorrow. Doing something is better than nothing. I will tell you, just, just being vulnerable, there is rarely a time I really feel like I'm doing it well. You know, we're inconsistent. We'll have a week where several nights we will when we gather the family together for dinner. We're going through the children's Bible that we gave for our 10th anniversary. Sometimes we don't. Sometimes it seems like it was really profitable. Sometimes it doesn't. Okay, you feel that way? Just, just be faithful. Just keep doing it. And of course, then, this is, if you're going to teach the, your kids the fear of the Lord, what's that, what's that mean has to be happening in your life? You have to be fearing the Lord. You have to be growing and walking in the knowledge of God. And I suspect a reason that a fair amount of, pile, of, of, of parents are silent on this matter is because they are not fearing the Lord. And by the way, if you don't speak that into your children's life, other voices of authority will take over. They're already out there anyway. We'll talk about that. And they probably don't, won't be the ones that you would want to be the authority in their lives. So number one, it's both parents' responsibility. Number two, this starts with encouragement, not warning about the consequences. In other words, as we seek to pour into our children, a good place not to start would be, if you don't listen to me, your life's going to be an absolute wreck. And, you know, you're going to face many needless um, difficulties, which may be true. But do you notice how he starts here, Solomon, commending the parents? He says, now, I want you to hear my son, your father's instruction. I want you to forsake not your mother's teaching, for, verse 9, or because they are, what? A graceful garland for your head and pendants for your neck. And you're like, I have no idea what that means. Like, great, garlands, pendants. I've, I've been thinking about that all week. Okay, so it's not immediately culturally transferable. So, a garland would be like a victor's wreath in the ancient Olympics. The Olympics started way back then. And when you won that competition, you had a garland. And also, uh, a pendant uh, was something that people would wear as a mark of prestige, almost like the gold medal for the person up on the winner's podium. In other words, he's encouraging them with the fruit of listening to their instruction and not forsaking their teaching. The fruit would be stability instead of instability, victory instead of defeat, success, stability. These are 
positive consequences of listening to the instruction of godly voices. Does that make sense? And that's just a really good place to start, and he does there. But, but uh, it says in Proverbs 13, 15, good understanding gives favor. That's what he's talking about here. But it also says the way of the transgressor is hard. So third of all, godly instruction and teaching does also include both don'ts or do nots and warnings. And in verses 10 and following, there's a few don'ts and there's a few warnings. So let's look at the first don't. He says in verse 10, my son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. Now, who's a sinner? All of us, right? But the Hebrew construction is referring to chronic, habitual, I don't give a rip, sinners. Ones who are not walking with God and have no interest in beginning to walk with God. These are people this very book of Proverbs categorizes as both simple and scoffers and fools. He is saying, when they, when they try to entice you, don't consent. Don't do it. And we have to tell our children, man, oh man, it, it could be in school. It could be anywhere. There are people who are going to want to lead you in a wrong direction. It's just flat out true. Peer pressure is a strong drug. And I think the NIV captures the sense of that when it translates, do not consent to, do, don't give in. Don't give in to them. So that's the first don't. Don't give in to people who don't want, want to walk with God. Second of all, second don't begins in verse 11. If they say, come with us. We'll come back to these middle verses, but drop down to verse 15. If they say all that they're going to say, my son, he says, do not walk with them. Don't walk in the way with them. Hold back your foot from their paths. What is he saying? He's saying, don't hang out with them. I mean, he's not saying you need to be a jerk for Jesus, but be wise. This is what a couple other Proverbs says. Proverbs 12, 26. The righteous choose their friends carefully, but the way of the wicked leads them astray. Show me your friends and I will show you your future. Proverbs 13, 20. Whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companions of fools will suffer harm. Show me your friends, and I will show you your future. He gives the reason why they ought not to hang out together as close friends. Verse 16. For their feet run to evil, and they make haste to shed blood. In other words, they're up to no good. They're going to do no good, and it will be no good for you. So don't hang out with them. And then he brings us to the warnings. Verse 17, for in vain is a net spread in the sight of any bird. You're like, what in the world is that about? Well, when bird catchers, birds are not the smartest animals on the animal ladder, right? Like, you ever heard the expression bird-brained? You ever see this happened at our house? A bird ran right into our glass window. 
which I actually did that recently. I was trying to look in my rearview mirror. I thought my window was down, and it wasn't. Bam! <laughs> then I quickly look around to make sure no one's looking. So I, I'm, I'm bird-brained as well. But they're not the smartest creatures. But even though they're not the smartest creatures, that when the, when the, when the fowler, when the, the bird catcher lays down a net, they're smart enough with their little mini bird brain to say, I don't think I should land on that net. It's going to trap me. And he's saying to us, just like to those birds, don't be bird brain. Fly away when that stuff comes your way. Because if you don't, verse 17, these men lie in wait for their own blood. They set an ambush for their own lives. In other words, in plotting the demise of others, they're actually plotting their own destruction. The ambush they're setting, they're going to walk through. If not in this life, most definitely in the life to come. You remember way back in the book of Esther, Haman builds the gallows on which he hopes to hang Mordecai, who hangs on the gallows that he built. He does. He's an illustration of this very point. There are consequences, he's saying, and sometimes it can even be up to the loss of life. Verse 19, such are the ways of everyone who is greedy for unjust gain. It takes away the life of its possessors. So this is the voice of wisdom. It's both parents' responsibilities. We start with encouragement, not the warnings of what will happen, but we also do include warnings and don'ts. And we are all faced with a decision, am I going to ignore godly voices, or am I going to hear and listen and invite godly voices? Now, in the main, I've been talking to parents, but a lot of people here are going to be parents in the future, so maybe talking to everybody, but I want to talk specifically to the kids right now. Children, you have a twofold responsibility in the face of a twofold temptation. Temptation number one is to not listen as you're being instructed. And in, I pointed this out last week when he says constantly through the book of Proverbs, here, 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 listen. He's not just simply saying, let some audible sound waves travel through and register on your eardrums. He's saying, no, you need to really hold on to what I'm saying, meditate on what I'm saying, and apply what I'm saying. Now, as that's happening, because he, he says, right, hear my son, right now, in the present tense, hear my son, your father's instruction. You have two options to go, yeah, 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 or yeah, I ought to think about that. So how's your hearing? The second temptation is this, is to maybe hear it in the moment, but then later to blow it off and not apply it when you really need to apply it, maybe outside the house somewhere. That's why he says, and do not forsake your mother's teaching. Like apply it in the moment when you need to apply it. Why? Because of the consequences if you don't. So are you applying or are you forsaking? Now I know, no, there's probably not anybody here like this, but let me just do a hypothetical. Maybe somebody here would say, but my parents are not always right. I know that's an outlandish thought. Like, who would think that ever? And you know what? News blip. We're not right. Uh, quite a lot. And you're not going to be right quite a lot. But as I look back on my parents who, 
I don't know that they were Christians. My mom's passed away a few years ago. You know, the older I get, the smarter my parents get. Maybe they knew a little bit more than I gave them credit for. And I will tell you this. Sometimes age and experience and just shanking it and suffering helps you see some things you couldn't see when that happened. And we want you to benefit from that. I want you to benefit from that. I, I got to tell you this. There are many, many times I've heard as a pastor with people with, with tears of shame and, and regret and anger, oh, if I had only listened. We've all thought that before, right? As we, we jumped into the net with our little bird brains instead of listening to godly instruction. I close this point with this proverb. Proverbs 23, 22 says simply, listen to your father who gave you life and do not despise your mother when she is old. And it goes uh, in the book of Ephesians, New Testament, chapter 6, verses 1 through 3, it says, children, obey your parents and the Lord for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. So that is the godly voices. You all with me? Okay, let's go to the ungodly voices. We go back to verse 11. If they say, come with us, let us lie in wait for blood, let us ambush the innocent without reason, like Sheol, let us swallow them alive and whole, like those who go down to the pit, we shall all find precious goods, we shall fill our houses with plunder, come on, throw in your lot among us, we'll all have one purse. Now, you have to admit, that call right there is kind of over the top, isn't it? Like, let's go get some blood. Let's go kill somebody. Let's go assault somebody. Let's take them out and take their stuff. That's, that's pretty over the top, right? I mean, when, if that were to be said to somebody, most people are going to say, you know what, that's exactly what I've been wanting to do. And yet... It happens every day, even in these streets. But it's always a slow, gradual, downward slide into that kind of stuff. Sin always takes you farther than you want to go, costs you more than you want to pay, and keeps you longer than you want to stay. And sometimes God graciously puts things in bold neon colors so we can see where a kind of mindset could potentially lead you, at least the direction it's, it's heading you. But ungodly voices, most of the time, are they not much more nuanced, much more subtle in their allurement to get people going down the wrong path? And yet even here, we can draw out three of the tactics that ungodly voices will use, whether they're being bold about it or nuanced. The first one is one that's so important. I mentioned it already, but I want to come back to it. Number one, the tactic of peer pressure. You know what peer pressure uh, appeals to? Our fear of man, right? We want to fit in. I want to be different. Am I the only ones ever thought that? Or you too? The fear of man. I want you to note, it says, if they say, 
It doesn't say if he says, verse 11. It doesn't say if she says, come with me. No, it is plural all the way through. In other words, there is a cacophony of voices, a crowd of voices saying, let's go this way. Come with us. And that is the embodiment of peer pressure. Come on, man. Everybody does it. It's part of becoming a, a, a man. It's what we do at college or high school or the military or whatever. Proverbs 29, 25 speaks to that. The fear of man lays a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. So there's peer pressure, number one. Number two, there is the promise of gain. If you look at verse 13, the gain that's promised here is material stuff, precious good, designer stuff, whatever. But there are desires um, that you have within that ungodly voices without are going to try and tap into and lure you astray. It could be material gain. It could be sex. It could be status. It could be a number of things. But they tap into that desire you have to get you going down the wrong path, which leads to the third tactic, the promise of family. You're like, whoa, 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 whoa. One thing is not like the other. I, family's a good thing. Well, family is a good thing. We are actually all communal beings because we're made in the image of God who exists in eternal triune community, right? The Father, Son, Spirit, eternal fellowship. We long to belong. But sometimes people fall prey to twisted forms of community, pseudo-community, toxic community, not good family. There's a guy that I know from the gym where I work out. Awesome guy. And real sharp guy. He's about 30. And we've just gotten to know each other sitting in the uh, hot box. You're just trying to survive and having a little bit of conversation, drinking water as you're sweating profusely. And you get to know people as you're sitting there. And he opened up to me uh, one day and he talked about how he one time had been uh, the leader of a pretty significant gang and all that gangs do. And he told me about all the money he earned and the places he went and the experiences, the good and bad that he had while that was his vocation. I said, man, what was, what, was, what was the draw for you? Was it the money? And he did not hesitate just like that. He said, no, it was a family. I didn't have a family, and they were my family. Whether it's a gang or fraternity, perhaps, or sorority, or any number of groups, people can think that they have healthy community there, but they really don't. It is not Un, not unheard of for, for Christians to sometimes say, well, you know what? My, my community, my friends, they're a lot closer to me than, than some of my Christian friends. You know, um, I can talk to them about anything. They're more open, etc. And there might be some truth to that, but beware of the trap of counterfeit Christian community. So let me give you a diagnostic question that you can apply to your primary community of people that you do life with. The question is not this, do they make me feel good? Because Satan is happy to make you feel good right now so that he can destroy you forever. Rather, does my community model what it means to follow Christ? Do they encourage me? Are they willing to, to rebuke me, to exhort me, and all the rest? Would, would you apply that question to your primary community? Well, this is the voice of folly, and my plea to you is to not listen to it. You got ugly, lady, folly, 
ungodly voice. You've got elegant lady wisdom. Godly voice. Now, so far, all of this has been pretty Sunday school-esque, hasn't it? Kind of cut and dry, plain and simple, needful stuff. Hey, 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 don't listen to ungodly voices. Listen to godly voices, hopefully starting with your parents. But we can end without looking at the larger context of Scripture and how this might connect. Who is the ultimate father? The ultimate father. God. If you've ever turned from your sins and trusted in Christ, God is not the father of everyone. He's the creator of everyone. He becomes your father when you trust in Christ. You're adopted into his family. So God is the ultimate father. If God is the ultimate father, what does that make us who've, who've trusted Christ? His children. Now, there's a massive upside to that. We have nothing to prove and no one to oppress because we've been adopted and accepted in the beloved. But there is a doubt. There is, there is a reality check. It's this. All of us are seemingly in a constant state of spiritual adolescence. All of us. Now, I want to talk to the younger folks just for a second as I really talk to everybody. I am not throwing shade at you because what you are, we once were. We didn't come out of our mother's womb just like this, old and bald and all the rest. Well, bald, but younger, maybe. But as kids and adolescents, do we not tend to think that we know better? We know better than our parents. We know better than our teachers. We know better than our coaches. If they're only as wise as I am, as clear thinking as I am, they're so old school, so behind the times, they don't get it. And that is the mindset of each and every generation that's ever existed, including ours, older folks. As the world, not uncoincidentally, gets worse. And that is the mindset of all of us before the living God. We really think we know better than God. We all do. If God were good. You ever think that? If God really, dot, dot, dot. If, 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 if. What we're really saying, though we wouldn't say it, but we're really saying it because we say it. We just don't, but we do. If I were God. If I were God. Let's get some perspective here. We are one of 7.9 billion people on the face of earth. All of us potentially seconds away from death. What a cheery thought. Well, since we're talking about death, we go without food for a few weeks, we're done, right? Much shorter time without water, we're done. We get shorted a few nights sleep, rest, and uh, we're hardly the model's exemplar of joyfulness and kindness. We get hungry, we turn into Incredible Hulk hangry. We probably couldn't even list a quarter of the 185 nations on the face of the earth, and if we did, we'd need a piece of paper to make sure we didn't repeat them, and we couldn't do it from 100 years ago. And we can't find our keys half the time. At least that's me. But we know better than God. We are the paragons of pride. 
We are little specks who think we know better than the one who spoke all specks and everything else into existence. We're kind of like the astronaut who went to the outer, outer space about 20, 30 years ago, and he kind of boasted to his uh, colleague, I don't see God out here. To which the guy wisely responded, well, I think you would have if you'd taken off your mask. God existed long before any of us were a glimmer in our great, 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 keep on going back granddaddy's eye. He is eternally existent. He is self-existent. He is the Alpha and the Omega. He's the Lord of glory. He's the sustainer of everything. He is the first begotten from the dead. He is the one before whom all things have to do, and by him all things are upheld by the word of his power. He's God. We're not. And that's why I would maintain to you we need to have a lifetime of Job moments. Remember Job? Man suffered. He's a pretty good man too, right? He suffered. He murmured. Don't give him a hard time. We murmur for things a thousand times less and probably murmur a lot more. But he murmured. And God shows up to him in the whirlwind, whirlwind and what happens? And he about breaks his jaw, putting his hand over his face, his mouth. He said, I have spoken too soon. And you know what? We need a lifetime of Job moments so that we keep on listening to godly voices, not ungodly voices. Because we have voices constantly feeding our thinking that we know better than God. Let me use a Christian word. They're actually discipling us. Yeah, I said discipling because that's what they're doing. They're catechizing us. They're training us. They're talking to us. Movies, Hollywood, music, books, news, Netflix, Facebook, Twitter, TikTok. Proud of myself for putting that in there. Podcast, conversations based on the book of first opinions, and on and on and on and on. Constantly bringing our view of the living God down and the view of ourselves sinfully and inappropriately up. Remember last week I shared that every week through the mediums I just mentioned, yes, TikTok included, we absorb or are exposed to 100,000 words a week, roughly equivalent to two books. Now, I think if some artists were commissioned to create a, a, a piece of art that would kind of be a picture or metaphor of our times, it would be this. <laughs> they call these smartphones. That's pretty idiotic. <laughs> and we add to that a good dose of suffering and failed expectations into this toxic cauldron of discipleship, and we really think we know better than God. Am I saying that we should cut off all that stuff? No, I think I addressed that by way of introduction. We're not called to go to some Christian compound. Um, or, like, should we only listen to Christian music, for example? <laughs> no, because Christian music is pretty bad, mostly. Not all of it, okay. And you turn on the radio, and it's, like, really crappy theologically, or it's sappy. It's like you're, you know, someone singing to their boyfriend. I'll just listen to a love song if I want that. So I'm not saying we just isolate ourselves. Here's, here's the real issue. What is the main IV... I am dripping into my spiritual bloodstream. What's the main IV? Is that right, Doc? IV? That's going into our spiritual bloodstream. 
Is it the word of God? Is it the worship of God? Is it the way of God? And if we're dishonest, a lot of times it is not. As a result, we're listening to ungodly voices far more than godly voices. We end up calling good bad and bad good, like the book of Judges talks about. Now, thankfully, there is one son, and I close with this, who actually perfectly listened to his father's instruction and who never forsook his mother's teaching. He is the one son who ever lived who actually really knew everything better than his parents in every category, Jesus Christ. And yet it says in Luke 151, he was what we have never been, perfectly submissive to his parents. Think about creator God, God incarnate, sinless, perfectly submitting to sinful parents. That was him. But far more than that, he perfectly obeyed his heavenly father. He said stuff like, my meat is to do my father's will. He said, I always do the things that please my father. We can't say that, can we? Paul gives us this divinely inspired commentary when it says of Jesus, Jesus is no JV God. He is God of God in human flesh, God of gods. He says, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but he made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death. Not any old kind of death, even the death of the stauros, even the death of the cross. You see, because we have sinned with a high hand against a holy God to tap into the imagery of Proverbs chapter 1, he has every right to lie in ambush for us against our blood because we're sinful and he's holy. But instead of that, he gave his blood as we sang opening song for ours on the cross. He is the ultimate son of obedience, but he was treated as if he was the ultimate son of disobedience so that you and I might be forgiven and brought into God's family through faith in Jesus Christ. Have you ever done that? Because that's where the fear of the Lord begins with the one who said, do not fear him who can destroy your body, but fear him who can destroy both body and soul in hell. Matthew 10, 28, those are the words of Jesus. Have you ever come to him? I'm not asking you've been baptized. You can be baptized so every tadpole in the pond names, knows your name, data, rank, social security number. That doesn't do anything. You just can come up a wet sinner. I'm not saying you've been catechized, confirmed, or any other thing. I'm asking you, have you ever repented of your sin and said, Jesus, be merciful to me, a sinner? And this one, the Bible says, this man receives sinners. And you might say, I have been a horrible parent. You know what? There is forgiveness. There's grace. You can, you can chart a new course. I've been a horrible kid. Okay, there's forgiveness. You can chart a new course because we all have in our own ways. But what you bring to salvation is your sin that required the death of the Savior to save you. That's all you bring. So you own it and you come. And now as newborn children, we are to desire the pure milk of the word so that we can grow in the fear of the Lord, say no to ungodly voices and yes to godly voices. And, and by the way, when you come to Christ, batteries are included. Because you're thinking, I can't keep this up. Oh, you're right. We can't. When we walk in our flesh, it's not pretty. But God gives his spirit to us when we place our faith in Christ. His spirit comes and begins to change us from the inside out. 
So if the music team would come, we're left with this question. Who do I listen to? What changes do you need to make so that you say, I'm not going to let godly voices direct me. I'm going to let ungodly voices, rather. I'm going to have godly voices, ultimately the God voice of Jesus Christ. So I said, I don't listen to Christian radio much. I don't. But I was uh, out on the road this week, and I came across this song. And the song was, was kind of catchy. You, you'll, you'll hear it in just a second. They're going to sing it while you sit for you to reflect. Um, and I thought there's two ways to take this song. One is sometimes Christian songs just say, oh, just live in your sin as long as you confess it. You know, let's just relish in our brokenness. That's not biblical. But this song, I think, emphasizes this, that we have to be real about our brokenness. Because God doesn't deal with the public relations managed image that we put out. He wants to deal with the real us, right? Real change happens when we get real about our need for change. And this song, this, here's some of the lyrics. You know, sometimes the ungodly voice that we have to say no to first and foremost is our own, own ungodly voice that says, oh, what are people going to think of me if I get real? We, we care about what they think, and whether they're going to think that or not, that's on them. That's between them and God. Who cares what they think, right? And so the, the lyrics go like this. I say I'm fine. Yeah, I'm fine. Oh, I'm fine. Silly song getting to me, but it is. Okay, I'm sorry. But it's not because it's kind of profound too. Hey, I'm fine. But I but but I'm not broken. No, I'm broken. And when I say it's when it's out of control, I say it's under control, but it's not, and I know it. I don't know why it's so hard to admit it when being honest is the only way to fix it. Now listen, there's no failure, there's no fall, there's no sin that he doesn't already know. So let the truth be told. Can I really stand here? unashamed. If you're in Christ, yes, you not only can, but you do. Because the scripture says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And I believe some of you are at a massive decision point. What are you going to do? Are you going to let your past define you? Or are you going to let the, your position in Christ define you? The one is going to be ungodly voices, and the other is godly voices. Jesus said, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. He didn't say you're going to have no burdens in life. He just said he would walk with you with those burdens. But when we walk with those burdens ourselves, it, it gets pretty ugly, doesn't it? It's pretty messy, doesn't it? So today, why don't you put your foot in the sand and cut another direction today? I don't often do this, but I'm doing this this morning. I think some people here need to make decisions. Decisions, one, to trust in Jesus Christ if you never have. And decision two, if you have, but you are not really intentionally following Godly voices, listen. Follow godly voices. Follow him. That's what he holds out for you this morning. 
If you need prayer, I'll be in back near the table, near the AV booth. There'll be some others as well. We'll pray with you. If you need to know how to scripturally call upon Jesus for salvation, we can help you with that. If you need counsel, we'll be there. But as they, as they minister to us this song, we're going to stand after that and sing together. I really would like you, as I do, to reflect on what we have heard. Who do I listen to? And again, I repeat, maybe the first voice that's ungodly that you need to stop listening to is your, is your own voice. That I got to pretend, I got to perform, that won't get it done. But what you can do is collapse at the feet of the one who knows it all, your fall and your sin and your folly and all the rest. Father, please use this message, these words, these songs to save and to sanctify your people. In Christ's name.